0: During the winter of 1469-70, the Earl of Warwick had papered over the cracks in his relationship with Edward IV. When the dust settled after the failed coup of 1469, Warwick had retained all his lands and titles, and he had removed several of his worst enemies. Nor had the Duke of Clarence suffered either from his involvement in the plot against his brother. So when the two prominent rebel lords appeared to be no worse off for their little escapade, why was Warwick contemplating open rebellion? Well, Warwick knew that Edward would not forget his betrayal, and though the king had not moved against him, he was surely just biding his time. If Warwick's position was undermined by others, or if his resources were reduced over time by the king, then he would be in no position to survive the king's revenge. If he felt that he had no option but to rebel, then he must also have seen that his only realistic hope of success lay in replacing Edward with the man who was still the heir apparent, his new son-in-law, George, Duke of Clarence. To stage a successful coup on such a scale, Warwick needed two things to happen. Firstly, there must be a trigger, to spark a rebellion and create an atmosphere of instability and fear. And secondly, he would need to have sufficient support from key nobles to back Clarence for the throne. During the winter, Warwick found his trigger in a dispute in Lincolnshire between Sir Thomas Burgh, one of the king's household knights, and a rival landowner, Lord Wells. This particular dispute was a hot one, which led to Sir Thomas Berg's house being robbed and destroyed by Lord Wells, his son Sir Robert, and an assortment of their cronies. Such baronial feuds were always going on, but mostly they did not cause any more than local trouble because no nobleman of importance ever bothered to get involved. It would be far too risky. However, by 1470, Risk was Warwick's middle dame. King Edward clearly felt that he needed to support Sir Thomas Burgh, since he was a knight of his own household and thus he declared in February 1470 that in March he would raise an army at Grantham in Lincolnshire. The purpose of this announcement might have been to frighten the Wells family into submission but if that was its purpose it failed miserably. The response of Lord Wells was not to tremble in his boots but to ask Warwick and Clarence for their support. Now I think it's very unlikely that this just happened especially because there seemed to have been some connections between the Wells faction and a few who had rebelled under Warwick's leadership the year before. In any case, by the end of February a deal was done. Wells would start the ball rolling, and then Warwick and Clarence would join in to support him against the king. Warwick, as ever, was keen to stir up support amongst the common classes, persuading them that the royal army would be used to punish them for previous disturbances in Lincolnshire. The king began raising his army, and for Warwick and Clarence it was a simple matter to claim that the men they were also mustering were to assist the king against Lord Wells and his rebels. While the king continued to gather his army, he summoned Lord Wells to London and must have been a little surprised when Lord Wells actually turned up. Since the Lord appeared to be repentant, Edward decided to pardon him and the whole matter then seemed a little less urgent. So Edward took out several days to meet his brother Clarence before eventually leaving London Grantham. I think it's unlikely that Edward suspected his brother of any wrongdoing at this point, or he might have acted against him then. Instead, Edward rode north with a few lords and his ordnance, while unknown to him, Clarence waited in London to talk to Lord Wells, after which he rode to meet the Earl of Warwick at Coventry. Meanwhile, in Lincolnshire, Lord Wells' son Sir Robert was whipping up Commons' support, telling them that the king was coming to destroy them. He circulated a proclamation to that effect to all the local churches. You see, fake news even then. Rumours suggested that the rebels hoped to have contingents from other quarters, enabling them to put a very large army in the field. Edward's immediate response was to send to London for the recently pardoned Lord Wells. The King interrogated Lord Wells again, and he confessed all, aside from the small matter of the involvement of Warwick and Clarence. At the same time, the Duke of Clarence wrote to Edward promising to come to his aid with Warwick as soon as he could. Confused? Well, you might be. Warwick's original plan went something like this Sir Robert Wells would stir up the Lincolnshire rebels while the king was delayed from setting out by the submissive Lord Wells and then having to wait to meet Clarence. Warwick himself, with Clarence, would raise troops and head for Leicester, although ostensibly promising to support the king. Sir Robert Wells would ignore the king's army being raised at Grantham and instead bring his large army of rebels to Leicester to join Warwick and Clarence. Meanwhile, Warwick would arrange a rising in Yorkshire which would prevent the king from calling upon his northern lords for aid. The result of all this would be that the king would face an overwhelmingly superior enemy and would not be able to summon any support. It sounds as if it might just have been a cunning plan. So what went wrong? Basically, Edward did not keep to the script, and for that matter, neither did Sir Robert Wells. The king, annoyed that Sir Robert had raised an army of rebels when his father had only just received a royal pardon, declared that if Sir Robert did not submit at once, that his father, Lord Wells, would be executed as a traitor. Sir Robert, therefore, had a simple, if agonising, three-way choice. He could submit, he could continue on his way to meet Warwick at Leicester or he could ignore Warwick and attack the king in the hope of releasing his father. Sir Robert chose the third option and took his army to Empingham, only a few miles away from where the king's army was camped at Stamford. Edward interpreted this, rightly, as a sign that Sir Robert was not going to submit Perhaps Sir Robert expected that Edward would not carry out his threat immediately, but he did, and Lord Wells, as promised, was executed. We are told that Sir Robert intended to attack Edward and overwhelm him with his superior numbers. Well, Sir Robert had clearly not learned much about his king, for it was Edward who attacked with the firepower of his cannons, which the rebel army lacked. Thus the rebels could either stand and be destroyed by the king's ordnance, or they could advance. They chose to advance, and with some crying out the customary battle shouts of a Warwick, a Warwick, or a Clarence, a Clarence, they met the king's army head on. What springs to mind by way of a comparison to this event is the infamous charge of the Light Brigade during the Crimean War. Already battered and dispirited by cannon fire, the rebel infantry were simply no match for the king's army. The fight was brief, and in a very short time, a retreat became a rout. One story suggests that many of the fleeing rebels divested themselves of Clarence's livery in their haste to escape, which led to the Battle of Empingham being known by the term loose field. But this may well be a later invention. If the cries of a Clarence a Clarence had sown any seeds of doubt in Edward's mind about his brother's involvement in the revolt, the discovery of a box of letters that Clarence had written to Sir Robert Wells dispelled any remaining doubts. Yes, a smoking gun. Edward summoned Warwick and Clarence to him to explain what they were doing. The two noblemen, perhaps not surprisingly, prevaricated whilst they considered their options. The planned Yorkshire Rising had already taken place, so perhaps all was not yet lost. If enough of the northern lords were willing to support them, they might still succeed in toppling the king. So, in the middle of March, Warwick and Clarence, having told the king's envoy that they were going to disband their armies and answer his summons, instead kept their armies and rode north. The rebel earl and duke were still protesting their loyalty whilst at the same time moving to join with their allies in Yorkshire, where Warwick hoped for support from his brother John, Lord Montague, and perhaps from some other prominent northern nobleman such as Lord Thomas Stanley. As Edward headed north, his position improved by the day as more lords joined him with their retinues. Messages flew to and fro. The king repeated his summons to the two lords, promising them a fair hearing. They again professed their loyalty, but asked for assurances of safe conduct, which the king refused. By the 20th of March, a battle between the two forces still seemed likely. But news reached Warwick that his brother John, far from joining his rebellion, had in fact answered the King's call to suppress the Yorkshire rebels. Warwick turned his dwindling army towards Manchester. His last hope lay with Thomas Stanley, the most influential lord in the northwest. But Stanley was suddenly rather elusive, finding urgent matters to attend to elsewhere. Without at least Stanley's support, Warwick knew that his venture was doomed, and now headlong retreat was the only course open to him. Fleeing south, Warwick and Clarence picked up their wives and families and then managed, just, to evade the King's pursuing army. They headed for the southwest, and from Dartmouth they took several ships along the channel. After failing to gather more ships and men en route at Southampton, they sailed on towards Calais. Warwick, of course, was still captain of Calais, and there he expected to find ample men and resources to enable him to regroup. But King Edward had already written to Warwick's deputy at Calais and Warwick's ships were denied entry. It was a terrible journey for the Neville's and Clarence, as Warwick's heavily pregnant daughter, Isabel, went into labour and subsequently lost her child. Warwick had little choice but to hope for a warm welcome in France. Indulging in some gratuitous piracy against Burgundian vessels on the way, his ships continued to France, Perhaps Warwick reckoned that acting against the Burgundians, the enemies of France, would ease his entry to a French port. My guess is that he thought it couldn't hurt his reputation with the French king, Louis XI, when he asked for his protection. Condemned in England as a traitor, Warwick now faced an ignominious end to his illustrious career. As a force in English political life, He was at last finished. Or was he?